Blog Talk Radio. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 uh, Miami, uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat, uh, <laughs> can y'all feel that, can y'all feel that, jig it out, uh, here I am in the place where I come let go In Miami, the base and the sunset low Every day like a Mardi Gras Everybody party all day, no work, all play, okay? So we sip a little something, leave the rest to spill Me and Charlie at the bar, running up a high bill Nothing less than ill, when we dress to kill Every time the ladies pass, they be like Can y'all feel me? All ages and races, real sweet faces Every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican Black, white, Cuban, or Asian I only came for two days of playing, but every time I come, I always wind up staying. This the type of town I can spend a few days in Miami, the city that keeps the roof blazing. But I can't feel a drip on the strip It's a trip Ladies have dress full of your quip And they be screaming out So I'm thinking I'ma scoop me something hot And this all summer rain game melting pot Hottest club in the city and it's right on the beach Temperature, get to ya, it's about to reach 500 degrees in the Caribbean seas With the hot mommies screaming Every time I come to town they be spotting me In the drop Bentley ain't no stopping me So cash in your dough and flow to this fashion show Pound for pound anywhere you go Yo, ain't no city in the world like this And if you ask how I know I got to flee the fest But on the snakes, Miami bringing heat for real. Y'all don't understand. I've never seen so many Dominican women with sediment tan. Mira, this is the plan. Take a walk on the beach, draw a heart in the sand. Give me your hand. Damn, you look sexy. Let's go to my yacht in the West Keys. Ride my jet skis, lounge under the palm trees. Cause you gotta have cheese for the summer house. Keep on South Beach. Water so clear, you can see to the bottom. $100,000 cars, everybody got them. Ain't no surprise in the club to see Sly Stallone. Miami, my second home. Champions at Ford Championship Weekend. November 15th through the 17th at Homestead Miami Speedway. Get your tickets and celebrate with three champions at the 2019 NASCAR season finale. Experience the sounds of speed. Witness the sights of greatness. Supercharge your senses. Call 866-409-RACE or visit HomesteadMiamiSpeedway.com. I'm NASCAR driver Daniel Hemrick, and you're listening to the Pit Stop Radio. 
Good evening from Duggan Nation. Uh, I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, how you doing this evening, bro? Um, I'm doing pretty good tonight. How about you? Doing good, brother. Thanks for asking. What do you think about this? Uh, I want to bring up something. This gum time change. There's some states that I understand they don't they don't swap back to daylight savings time and all that kind of crap. But which I know you're sort of semi-retired. How do, how do you deal with this? I mean, it sort of messes me up, man. I've been getting up an hour early every morning and just sit here and twiddling my thumbs. Oh, well, the other night I went to bed an hour later than I normally do because it's like time has changed on me, so I'm still trying to work off the, the old time, but I think I've been figuring it out by now. Well, we're going on two days here. I'll see how everything goes. But again... Like I said, uh, I'm Tim Spain, alongside com. Mr. Stephen Wilson. Tonight, coming up here at 20 after the hour, we've got driver number eight, Caterpillar Chevrolet for Richard Chittis Racing. Mr. Daniel Hemrick going to swing by and talk to us, and I want to talk to him about his first pole win there in, in uh, Kansas, Stephen. But uh, before we go talking about some racing stuff, like uh, I just brought up the time change, did you get my text, or did you see where that black cat run out on the field in Dallas last night and uh, made a 50-yard scamper touchdown? Right in the middle of the Monday night football, bro. Um, I didn't see it. I caught the re- the highlights today that people uh, have uh, uh, been posting around all over the place. Yeah, it was sort of a hot topic on social media. But, uh, Stephen, uh, I guess one of the biggest breaking news stories we've had in our sports history in a long time Roger Penske bought listen to this fans I'm sure y'all have seen it or heard it on social media he bought not only Indianapolis Motor Speedway but he bought the IndyCar series Steven. I mean you know and it was kept so quiet just like uh, Dave Moody I was listening to, to Dave Moody on the morning drive this morning with, uh, with my good friend Bagley and Pete Pistone and just like just like Moody said, he said, nobody's seen this coming, Stephen. There was not a hint to the media. And this is more than a multi-million. This, this is, could be up in the billions of a deal. I don't know what it would cost to actually buy Indianapolis Motor Speedway, let alone the IndyCar series, Stephen. But uh, you posted some stuff on, on your site, speedwaydigest.com, and I also put some stuff on uh, my site, pitstopradio.net, which you host, and I thank you very much for that. But, uh, your thoughts on Roger Penske? I mean, you know, Roger's 80-something years old. Why would he want to endeavor into a big situation like this? Um, I don't know. But it, uh, I think it's interesting in the fact that, yeah, he he bought it all. <laughs> um, he he bought the whole deal from uh, um, the, uh, the George family, uh, bought, the, uh, bought the track, bought Serious. Uh, I mean, he bought everything. So 
I think it I think it is interesting as to how the future of that will go. Um, it seemed like that the family was in the process of uh, just uh, getting rid of all the businesses after Tony George had passed away um, and selling them off one by one. Uh, some of the, the the other business they had a baking powder company that a lot of people probably didn't know about that was sold not too long ago, and uh, uh, the the four uh, family members that had to control the interest I guess felt that it was time to get out of the business and uh, or hand it over to somebody else who is. Uh, going to take it to the next level and uh, care for it like they have since, uh, what, about 1945 or something like that. Stephen, uh, there's been a lot of talk. You know, you and, I, you and I, we've talked about it when we've met up at these tracks that we went to this year and uh, on social media and everywhere else about the fans and NASCAR getting with uh, uh the Indy series there and maybe doing a, uh, what they call a, uh, hit me off what I'm trying to think of, Stephen, but have an Indy car race, like a doubleheader Indy car race, a NASCAR race. Do you think now that Roger Penske has purchased, purchased, like you said, the whole shit pot, put bang of everything that we maybe that we might could see a Indy car NASCAR series weekend in the schedule, probably not in 2020, maybe 2021 or 2022. What do you think? Um, I think it's possible. I know that there are track owners out there that have uh, expressed interest in doing so. Uh, having both the, the Cup Series and the IndyCar there on the same weekend, uh, I mean, there's we have to look at the totality of it all and which tracks actually could pull this kind of thing off. Really and honestly, I think that a track like Watkins Glen would probably be the most fit to run a Cup race and the IndyCar race on the same weekend. It's a road course. Um, you may get some crossover drivers. Um, maybe uh, you get someone like Kurt Busch that's a Ganassi driver that jumps in an IndyCar ride during the weekend or something like that. Um, I know um, at Texas, uh, Eddie Gossage has said that he would be in favor of having IndyCar come there on a weekend with NASCAR. So. Um, could have happened. I I think those conversations and seeds have been planted for quite some time. You see IndyCar coming back to Richmond uh, in 2020. Also, um, after they made the po- uh, moved to Pocono for a couple of years, uh, I don't know if Richmond is the right track to do so, but um, I I can probably see a couple of tracks out there that we currently go to on the Cup Series, um, maybe in Sonoma. Uh, maybe we see. Uh, some, something radical like, um, you know, uh, the 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 race out there in uh, they they've moved the the IndyCar final from places like Auto Club in the last couple of years to now Laguna Seca, and maybe we see something radical like uh, you know, like a, a Sonoma gets moved later on into the season, um, and the championship race is held there on the Cup Series weekend. I think that could draw a lot of interest of people between the two sports that uh, would be interested in seeing something like that. But again, those, these are just kind of what ifs and things I, that I could see happening that in the next couple of years. 
And Stephen, talk a little bit about silly season. I know you and I we've got a couple notes today. I know uh Atari Racing mentioned that they signed Austin Hill to a contract uh to come back there with them next year for twenty twenty in the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series. And also we think where Riley Hurts is gonna run full time for Joe Gibbs Racing in twenty twenty. There's a lot of stuff going on. And a lot of stuff going on with our guests we got coming up. We got Daniel Hammer coming up. And I know you are, you or I one, we're going to pose that question. Daniel, where are you going next year? And I don't know if he has a clue or you know how they – sometimes they can't talk about it. But with this silly season there, what's your thoughts on uh, – probably really not Austin Hill. We probably knew Austin Hill was going to resign with Atari Racing. That was probably a, a safe bet. You know, you could have bet anything on that 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 was going to happen. But Riley Hurts. This young man coming up and gonna and gonna step in a full time ride there with Joe Gibbs Racing next year. Like I said, we got the note earlier. What's your thoughts on that? Well, Raleigh's a driver that has backing from multiple different sources already, so JGR doesn't really have to go out and look a whole lot for um, extra capital to um, put into that program. So I think really with him, he just kind of comes built in with that already. Um, for Herbst, I would have liked to seen him stay and stick out on um, the truck series maybe another season, get a little bit more seat time than that. Um, but, you know, you have to look at, uh, you know, what, what's going on at CGR and with uh, uh, he's got uh, Christopher Bell moving out of the 20 and that, um, they're putting uh, uh, Harrison Burton in that car and, uh, 18 has been a car that they've, uh, you know, run uh, different drivers through, and with NASCAR cutting the number of Cup drivers that can enter into these races even more, um, you know, I think JGR was kind of in a situation where um, they would have been having to pull from a whole lot of different people just to keep that 18 car running all year long, and. Maybe they just saw this as an opportunity to put somebody in the car all year. They have the backing into it, and then uh, they don't have to kind of worry about that too much. And also, Stephen, another note, uh, listeners, I know I keep jumping around here, but since we've uh, had our show last week, uh, Matt Tiff, the driver there at Front Row Motorsports, you know, he had that seizure there at Martinville Speedway, and now they've, uh, Front Row Motorsports announced the other day that they're bringing John Hunter Nemechek in. Gonna gonna drive that forward there for front row motorsports and uh, uh excuse me I had a I had a brain fart Matt Tiff's gonna be out the rest of the season and we don't know exactly where them seizures are coming from I know you and I spoke about that but John Hunter Nemechek he's gonna have to he's gonna step his game up he's getting into a uh, into a Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series car there and I think he's actually gonna race his dad I think Joe's racing this weekend at ISM also. To put in perspective, just how big a deal is it for a young man with John Hunter Nemechek? I'm not going to call him a young man. He's he's sort of a veteran. He's he's been around a few years now, but this this is going to be a big deal for him stepping into a car, cup car, especially at uh, PIR, right, brother? I think that maybe this is an opportunity because really FRM is still looking for somebody to fill all three of their cars next year, and then they have that kind of fourth charter that's kind of waving out there in the wind that they're going to have to figure out something to do with that too because you can only lease it for a year, and then you got to bring it back. So um, sure, they can kind of twist some things around and get it get it to uh, 
uh, get that charter so that they can lease another one from another team that they already currently own. But uh, with however long um, Matt Tift is going to be out, we don't know if he's even going to be back by uh, Daytona at this point. They're still uh, working on some things to see what caused it and um, what remedies they can go through. And even once he's uh, cleared that way, he still has to be cleared by NASCAR. So um, whether he's going to get that done in the next 60 days or so, it's really hard to tell um, so that he can be on track in Daytona in February. And Steve, I don't want to put you on the spot. I know I say that a lot. <laughs> but I want to talk about this uh, charter deal there. You bring up a good point. Some of our listeners might not know about the RTA and Rob Coughlin and all them joining the, this this RTA deal with the charter. Can you – I'll give you a few minutes to gather your thoughts. Can you explain this charter system, how it works, and, you know, there's no set price. I'm still getting – trying to figure out this set price on these charters. Me and Ron Devine, we've talked about it, and he's tried to explain it to me. But can you explain a little bit about the charter? I know the charter guarantees that car – and that driver to be in that race, in the race, every year. But can you explain it to, explain it to some of our listeners that might not know this deal, bro? Well, the charter was just a, a continuation of the top 35 where you know, we had the top 35 previously that were guaranteed into every race after the first uh, handful of races in, in the, in, at the beginning of the season. Um, and so long as you stayed in that top 35, you'd be guaranteed. Well, this just is kind of a license. It's kind of like a, you know, like a franchise where, you know, the New York Yankees has a franchise for their baseball team where, they, you know, they, they they can make contracts and they're guaranteed that they can play all 100 and some odd games a year. The Dallas Cowboys have a football franchise where they play all um, 16 games in a year. Um, you know, and that's just it. That's just basically all this equates to is this just equates to a franchise type license in in NASCAR where the team is given the right to own um, the franchise and they're guaranteed to be a part of every race in that particular season. Um, with it comes um, a different way of paying out. The, the points purse, the points purse is paid out in a little different way. Uh, as a charter member, you're guaranteed a certain percentage of the, the purse, a higher percentage over people that enter an event that aren't a charter. Um, on top of that, it gives you some other rights, but um, it's really... It's, it's really not 100% bonding. These are just things that uh, NASCAR and the RTA have come up with over time. RTA is trying to act as a de facto union for, for trying to act as like a de facto union um, when they're not. Um, they're just a company out there that's trying to look out for the best interest of the teams. And the particular part about the charter is, is that with a charter, it kind of gives you some kind of financial interest into the company or the particular team. Uh, meaning that that charter could be worth more or less money depending on how you perform in the particular season before you sell it. We saw where Truex and um, Front, Front Row Motorsport, Front, sorry, Furniture Row Racing had a championship caliber 
um, charter, which means that that would go for more money because that championship charter would translate into more purse money guaranteed to them in the next season. So that's uh, that's kind of gives a, fine, uh, a a deeper financial interest in these charters to perform better, because the better you perform, the better that you get a uh, more percentage of the purse that you get, which translates into if you try and sell it later on, or the way that it's supposed to work is if you try and sell it later on, you've got something tangible that you can sell that's actually worth money instead of just a stock of cars that you have built. There you go, listeners. You want it. There's the whole definition of the charter system there, RTA there from Stephen Wilson at Speedway Digest. And let me uh, let everybody know the number of calling is 215-383-3681. Again, I'm Tim Despain, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com. He's right outside of Richmond Raceway. And the way the crow flies, I'm about eight miles south of this 2.66-mile monster we call Talladega Super Speedway. Man, we're waiting on Daniel Hammett to come on. So while we're waiting on that, Stephen, I would say let's take a break, but let's go talk about this past weekend there at Texas Motor Speedway. Like you mentioned, Christopher Bell earlier, he has punched his ticket to Homestead Miami Speedway. Let's listen to a little bit about what Christopher Bell and Jimmy Ratcliffe had to say in the media center there at Texas Motor Speedway. All right, as Christopher makes his way into the media center for our post-race press conference um just wanted to read a couple stats that this is christopher's eighth victory and 20th top 10 finish in 2019 and this is his first victory here at texas motor speedway all right we've now been joined by our race winner driver of the number 20 ream toyota christopher bell we'll take questions for christopher if you have one please raise your hand yeah jason okay. jason's on his way too. Oh, okay yeah I don't know where he, or he's not far behind me. Yeah, he's probably signing autographs. Maybe. All right, we'll go ahead and start with Christopher. We'll uh, roll Jason in here in a minute. Bob, do you want to kick us off? Oh, okay. Bob Pockris, Fox Sports. After going through what you went through last year at Phoenix, is this excitement or relief? excitement i can't wait i can't wait to go to phoenix i love that racetrack and now we get to go there and focus on one thing and that's winning the race um i don't i don't know if jason was thinking points tonight but uh we're definitely not going to have to think points next week it's a microphone (laughs) all right bob did you have another question Uh, I haven't yet. Um, I have been focusing pretty hard on data and just looking to see, uh, you know, how it works. And, um, yeah. All right. Jerry? Jerry Jordan, KickingTires.net. Uh, Bob had a little bit of my question. You're, you're not locked in, obviously, uh, you, and you, you don't have to worry about anything. Look forward to, uh, to Homestead and, and, knowing that you're going in there and, and, and that you're going to be in that show battling for the championship. And then also, Loopy's closed like five minutes ago. Yeah, I saw that they opened a couple of them in Dallas, too. So I'm excited about that. I just learned that today. 
but uh, it's it's nice, and I think Jason can elaborate a little bit more on it. But uh, Homestead, the Homestead car has been kind of sitting there, getting touched a little bit. But obviously, we still have priorities in line. Uh, where now I'll let Jason answer this, but I I believe probably Homestead becomes the number one focus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, getting through tonight. And again, I think somebody mentioned it as I was walking in. Um, the mindset's going to be a lot different going into Phoenix. Um, and we will do some prep for Phoenix this week, but we will do more prep for Homestead, and we'll just go to Phoenix and have some fun. And we've, we've been pretty good there. That car's ready. It's prepared to go on the truck. and So it's going to be a good week. Um, we'll get an extra week to prepare for Homestead, which feels good. All right, we'll continue with questions. We'll go to Dustin and then Wolfgang. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Jason, um, to your left. Hey. When, when you talk about the, the, the focus on the, the, the Miami car, wh what, I mean, what more can you do? I mean, it's obviously you guys were among the strongest teams, so y you were going to prepare a, Miami, a strong Miami car. The focus was already going to be a part of that. So, you know, when I hear people talk about, hey, we win early, we know, we don't have to worry about this race, so we can focus on Miami, it makes it sound like people weren't focusing on Miami. So what, 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 what more can you guys do? Because aren't you already doing, in essence, 100% every week? Well, I think a lot plays into it. It's not necessarily just the car preparation, uh, which is a big part of it. Uh, but one of the things I felt last year that hurt us was, you know, the team had to work um, – they put so much emphasis on Phoenix because we had to we had to win. But by the time we got to Homestead, I, I just felt like the guys were kind of burned out, you know. And when you get to that point, it's really easy to make mistakes um, or or not make clear decisions. So when you say prepare for Homestead, there's a lot that goes into that. The team, you know, gets a little bit extra rest. The engineers can look at the setups and really put a good game plan together for practice. Not that you don't do that every week. But when you have more time, you know, you can turn more stones and, and make sure that your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And you just feel better about going in there with a little more confidence. And especially from my end, I have a, a simulator slot every week. And, and now I'm sure next week we'll, we won't spend as much time on Phoenix and, and double up on Homestead. Yeah, Homestead's it's very difficult because the tire it's kind of like um, Darlington or California. Uh, you do get two sets of tires in practice, but once you get you know a few laps on them, you just aren't learning anything. So you know you have to do your homework once you get to the racetrack, especially that track because it's so unique and it wears tires out so fast. Um, better be prepared before you get there it's not like you can just unload and say all right well let's go see how our car is and we'll make you know here you can make five or six runs on a set of tires and they're going to repeat homestead's not that way so the more you can you know run simulation and the more you can run uh you know different setups do that and and you know look through notes all the different things you do each week um the better off you're going to be yeah and i don't think it's whenever we go to the simulator driving is a part of it like getting me acclimated to the racetrack is a part of it but i think it's a relatively small part of it it's uh going through all those changes because like jason said having two sets of tires at homestead is um essentially having two runs you you got two tries 
in practice to figure out what you're going to race. And whenever you have a simulator, you can hit the reset button as much as you want and try different packages and, and see what you like the best. All right, additional questions? Okay, Wolfgang. And then we'll come up front to Lee. Yep, I go ahead. I, yeah, I have two uh, for Crystal. First of all, congratulations. Uh, question number one, was it difficult, I think, around lap 152 or 53, we had the red flag situation to stay focused. And then you mentioned um, a simulator. How realistic is a simulator compared to the real thing, to your real race car? Are there still some differences? Uh, there's definitely some differences, and there's some racetracks that are better than others. Um, and obviously Homestead is a, a racetrack that they focus on really hard to make sure that it's as accurate as can be because it's an important race. And then uh, as far as the red flag goes, that was actually uh, really beneficial for me because we were having a lot of issues uh, throughout the course of the race, <coughs> and then the red flag kind of allowed our car to um, recoup, and, and then we were good to go for the end. All right. If we can get a microphone up to Lee, please. Jason, are you concerned about the brakes, or do you think that this was just a fluky thing that happened tonight? Uh, I'm, I'm not concerned. I mean, we'll get home and, and look at it or here in just a little bit. When I get back to the garage, uh, the car will be on jack stands. We'll look it over and, and just kind of play the race back with Christopher and and think through, okay, is this a, is this a track thing? Is this a, something we miss? Um, but we'll go through it, you can bet, you know, with a fine-tooth comb and make sure that we understand what happened, um, if it was a fluke deal or if it was just this track, these conditions. Um, it'll be right for Homestead. Was it a new package that you were trying it out? Wasn't. Um, it's I not mean, it wasn't. I mean, this just seems like an unusual place to have brake issues. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was confused about, too, because uh, you don't really use a ton of brakes here. Yeah. Yesterday... We saw the brakes hotter than we typically do. Um, so, yeah, maybe we have a problem. We'll figure it out. And, and Bell, any shot of um, you running a Chad Boat midget at Chili Bowl <laughs> rather than with uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Keith Coons? So, hey, yeah, guess what? Christopher's going cup racing next year. <laughs> <laughs> We've had that question for 12 months. Well, this is completely you know, oh. new genre. Yeah, I know. I'm just waiting on somebody to ask it. Uh, yes. Wow. Can you kind of elaborate on that? I uh, just. I, I love it. We went from Homestead <laughs> to the Chili Bowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I love Pete and Keith, and they uh they're like family to me. Um, and it just for me, I I've been there done that and I've won so many races for Pete and Keith that um, I just I feel like I was set up for failure going to the racetrack with them because we've been so successful in the past and I hated that feeling for me going midget racing was is about uh, enjoying it having fun and um, I, I want to go there and, and me and Chad have become really good friends over the last year or so and um, now, whenever I go to the racetracks with Chad, it, it's all about enjoying it, having fun. Results are secondary. And with Keith Coons Motorsports, results are the primary. And, and I, I feel like I was set up for failure whenever I was going to the racetrack with them. So uh, I, I really enjoy racing with Chad because it's just uh, me and my buddy headed out to the dirt track. Uh, 
Yeah, it's going to be a very unique Chili Bowl. That's that's for sure. Change of pace. All right, Chris. Yeah, Chris Trends.com. Just a couple quick questions for Jason. Are you taking a new car to Homestead, or is it a car that you've raced this year? And for Christopher, how much more patient of a driver are you this year at this time compared to where you were last year? Uh, it's a car we've we've raced this year. Um, we've got you know, it, at this point last year, we had a car picked out and we took it to Kansas and unfortunately it was destroyed. So then we picked our second one out, which it was good, and we came to Texas with it, and unfortunately it was destroyed. Uh, so, you know, several weeks ago we looked at it, and it was hard to choose because we've got some a lot of really good race cars. But after Vegas, we felt like with the speed that the car showed there that uh, it was time to set one aside and, and, and make sure that we had um, our top choice, you know, sitting in the corner and, and not destroyed at some other race. Yes. And then uh, my question was? Uh, that, that's, that's a tough question. Um, I do feel like I've just kind of set back a little bit more and, uh, you know, pavement racing in general is, is just, it's a, it's a fine line. And all you can do as a race car driver is take your car right to the edge of, the, of control and just live there on that edge. And whenever you get behind, especially in pitch strategy or uh, if you have a bad restart, it's really easy to start creeping over that line and, and making mistakes. Whereas, especially tonight, I feel like I uh, I stayed really calm in the car and um, just kind of rode it out and let the race play out, and, and we were there at the end. All right. We'll take our – okay, we'll go Reed, and then we'll take our final question back from Dustin. Reed, go ahead. Reed Spencer with NASCAR Wire. When you do the Sims for Homestead, are you going to live on the top of the track? Well, I feel like last year we were fairly committed to not running the top of the racetrack, and uh, – Reddit kind of proved us otherwise, so um, I, I don't know. Me and Jason obviously need to sit down and talk about our game plan going in there, um, but I, I think our best bet is to race the racetrack and make the best lap time we can, whether that's on the white line or up, in, up around the fence. All right, Dustin, go ahead. Uh, Dustin, uh, long friend of sports. Christopher, just to go back to what you were saying about the, the Chili Bowl and, and, and going into a different ride, Obviously, this coming year, you you certainly have a great opportunity to tie a mark, and it's not too many times athletes get opportunities to tie or eventually be in position to break records. Um, and I'm curious when you talk about setup for for failure with, with you know being in a, in a Coons car, aren't you still kind of being in that situation because of the expectation, uh, even though it's a different ride, that hey, you're the you're the gunslinger. At the at the chili bowl type of thing. I, I was just when you talked about that, I was kind of confused. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely an honor. You don't um, I think what Kevin Kevin has four in a row, and I've got three in a row right now. So you don't get that up. It's probably a once in a lifetime opportunity, and and I hope it I can live up to expectations. But um, I've won three chili bowls. If I never win a fourth, I think I'll I'll be just fine. Uh, what card number? No, not yet. It'll be an 80-something. 
All right. Well, next week you'll be driving the number 20. So you at least know that, right? That's right. All right. Well, congratulations. Enjoy those cowboy hats. And uh, best of luck next week. Thank you. Steve, that was Christopher Bell and his crew chief there, uh, Jason Ratcliffe, after he punched his ticket uh, to the final four there at Miami Homestead Speedway, which you and I will be attending. Also, my darling wife, Suzanne, sorry, AM can't go. I know she's got prior engagements. But, Stephen, what are we looking at in this truck series? We've got Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain is pro- Ross Chastain's going to be my pick. But uh, what are we looking at after ISM Raceway? What's our scenarios, bro, going to Homestead? <laughs> well, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Chastain is probably the, the toughest pick um, or the toughest competitor that um, we've seen this year. Uh, he came in as a guy that was running every other single series out there, um, won a race, wasn't even supposed to win a race because he wasn't even declaring points for it. Uh, shows back up and uh, wins another race to take that one away. Comes back again. He wins another one. Then he wins another one. Then he wins another one. And I mean, he's got five wins. Or sorry, four wins. Uh, no, how many wins? He's got three wins. Sorry, three wins this this year outside of the. Uh, so you know he he's come in and uh, he's been battling between Austin Hill and Brett Moffat all year long. Uh, I think Moffat's going to be strong too at the same time, but. Um, you know, because he he won a chance he won the championship last year for HRE there in, in Homestead, and oh yeah, <clears throat> so I think those two are going to be the strongest that we're going to see when we get there to Homestead next week. That's right, brother. I will agree with you there one one hundred percent. Like you said, Moffitt won the uh, championship last year with uh, Atari Racing, and to add to your point there, Moffitt is with GMS Racing this year, and still. Still run, running a hell out of that damn truck, but I think my pick, I think I'm going to go with the Watermelon Buster. We've had him on that show a couple of times. I think Ross Chastain's going to bust the Watermelon at the start-finish line there at Homestead Miami Speedway and win his first NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series Championship. Again, the number to call in is 215-383-3681. I'm Tim Spain. Alongside SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. I got a note from a PR guy there from Daniel Hamrick. Daniel had something come up, but we're going to try to get him back on at a later date. But uh, y'all don't throw rotten tomatoes at Stephen and I if you see us. Uh, it's just, some, just one of them deals there that something come, come up and we couldn't get Daniel Hamrick. But let's take a little quick break. Uh, let's listen to uh, a little bit of Three Doors Down there. And we'll, we'll, we will be right back live from the Pit Stop Radio. Here at Tato Super Speedway, up south of Tato Super Speedway, right after this song. Secrets. 
This is NASCAR driver Brad Keselowski, and you're listening to the Pit Stop Radio. A little bit of three doors down there. Coming back into the Pit Stop Radio here just south of Tyler Super Speedway. I'm Timmy Spain, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, uh, talk a little bit about there. Uh, we've got Christopher Bell. He is uh, he's clinched his spot. Oh, we've already talked about this. Let's go on. To, <laughs> sorry about that. Let's go on to the uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series side of it, Stephen. Kevin Harvick won this weekend. Uh, 
a lot of the media and a lot of social media stuff were sort of putting Kevin Horick out of the picture, but now he just clinched himself a ticket to home set Miami Speedway for the Ford Championship weekend. Uh, then we got a lot of stuff going on. We've got uh, Kyle Busch. We've got Joey Logano. We've got Denny Hamlin. What are we looking at at ISM Raceway this weekend, Stephen? It's going to be one hell of a damn race, I think, brother, for this Cup Series deal. This is the last weekend for anybody. One driver can win and punch their ticket. There's another. There's a scenario, and don't get me into scenarios, because I'm not really good with that. I'm just an old dirt road country boy here in Talladega. But there's a chance somebody can point their way in. And what are we looking at, brother? There's so many scenarios that I don't. I don't even have enough ink in my pen to write all this down. Well, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's drivers out there, such as Chase Elliott, which, again, had another bad week, uh, had a bad week at Martinsville, right off the truck, had a bad week in the race, comes into this week trying to rebound from that, has another bad week. He's sitting at the very back. He's got no chance uh, of making it in unless he wins. And, um, some of the others that are, you know, they're critical that have to, have to win is, Dan Hamlin, Blaney, Larson. I mean, at this point, the, those four guys below the cut line, they've got no chance of getting in except for um, winning winning this weekend. Um, I know we've seen in the last couple of years that Kevin Harvick has come into this race um, in these no-win situations. Danny Hamlin has come in with these no-win situations. Brent Newman has come in with these must-win situations. And each and every time, um, we, we've seen a driver below that cutoff and in that no-win, I mean, in that must-win situation um, come to uh, ISM and clinch their ticket to Homestead. So can it be done? Yes. We've seen several drivers do it already. But these guys are just going to have to have just a perfect weekend. I mean, it's going to have to be the perfect storm, and they're going to have to come in, and they're going to have to be 100% from the time they roll off. Um you know that that truck and throughout the weekend because uh um, yeah without a win they they don't have a chance at this point. And Stephen, let's let's do a little bit about what our race winner there won the AAA Texas 500 there at Texas Motor Speedway, Mr. Kevin Harvick and uh, Rodney Childers, and also Tony Stewart joined in there too. Let's listen to what they had to say to the meeting center there after their win there at Texas Motor Speedway. We're going to kick off our um, post-race media availability here for the AAA Texas 500 here at Texas Motor Speedway. We are joined by our race-winning team team owner, Tony Stewart, and our race-winning um, crew chief, Rodney Childers. And first of all, congratulations, gentlemen, on the win today and making it officially into the Final Four for Homestead um, in two weeks. So we will take questions for Tony or Rodney. If you have one, please raise your hand, state your name and affiliation, and we'll start with Jerry. Jerry Jordan kicking the tire sign. Tony, I was going to ask you the same as what she said. You've come in here twice now. But uh, on a serious note, uh, talk about what it means to uh, have Kevin locked in to Homestead. We kind of we kind of brushed on that, uh, but now it's a reality. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a that's a big deal to us. I mean, it's uh, you know it's a scenario that it takes a lot of pressure off next week. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that are all lumped together there that are going to be fighting for two spots. So. Uh, 
you know, there's a ton of pressure for those guys, and the next seven days is not going to be a fun seven days, uh, you know, for those guys preparing for it. But, you know, gives gives Rodney a little bit of a breather, gives Kevin a little bit of a breather to go out and, and uh, you know, it doesn't mean next weekend you don't you don't work hard. I mean, you, you, you stay the course. I mean, he'll tell you he's going to work just as hard next week as he is for Homestead. So uh, you got to keep that momentum going. And uh, But the nice thing is it does, it does take that edge off, I guess, uh, you know, of worry takes that out of the equation going into next weekend so uh, you know it's big for the organization you know obviously it's it's the goal of the company every year to to be in that position where you know you're going to take at least one car to homestead to race for a a championship so uh, you know this is one of those tracks and and phoenix next week is one that you know is they're kind of kevin and rodney's playground so to speak so uh, or have been historically so uh, you know that these are good opportunities. You, you hate to have to rely on Phoenix to to get you in that position, but um, you know to be able to to knock it out like they did today and do it in such a dominant fashion. I mean that's uh, you know that's the kind of day that that sets a statement to the competition that that you know we feel like our team's peaking at the right time and getting ready for the end of the year. And and Rodney, for you, um, obviously y'all started off strong with a lot of laps, and then it dropped back. And I think Kevin was sounding kind of frustrated over the radio at some point. What it wasn't like in the car, whatever changes you made, obviously went back to the front and some cautions fell, things like that. But talk about how you managed the race today to, to dominate like you did. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was we, we had a great car off the truck. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have to chase anything during practice. We didn't have to change anything on our setup or anything like that. And we were able to, to just work on the, the little things during the weekend. And, um, you know, we talked about it a lot this morning that um, it, it was going to be a different race. You know, we had a lot of messages last night about the way that it played out in the spring. And, um, you know, I, I watched the race from the spring for the third time this morning. And, um, you know, there's just so many circumstances that can change with, with putting two tires on, with gas only, with four tires. And, um, you know, we're normally the ones that that I, I can't stand the points race, I'll be honest. I don't want to stay out there and get stage points. I want to put ourselves in the best position to try to win the race. And um, so doing that, you know, you end up putting yourself in a bad spot on those restarts after the stage breaks. And he was able to do a, a really good job of driving back up uh, through there and, and getting six in the uh, in the second stage. And then, um, you know, it, we stayed out at the end of the second stage to get those points and um, put us in a pretty bad hole uh, didn't have a great pit stop and then got a penalty the next caution and just a lot of things didn't go right but uh, like you said we made some adjustments and um, honestly I think just being able to put tires on that one time when those other guys had two or three cycles on their tires ended up being a bigger deal than what we ever thought Um, you know you would have thought just you know you could go all night with not putting tires on it's not that big a deal but uh, once we got rolling there and having a little bit better tires, it, it made a big, a big difference for us. And uh, you know, just kept it turning. That, that, that's really what it was all about: is keeping it turning off a of turn, off a of turn two, and, and keeping that momentum going. All right. I believe we have a question in the press box. Uh, actually, two questions. So Wolfgang Wachter from Germany, Rennsport Press Agency. Wolfgang, you never have one question. You always got two questions. Yeah, which I'm, I'm, it's I'm, all about consistency, so I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, congratulations to both of you. I mean, great results. Three cars uh, among the first three. I have a question, two questions for Rodney. 
Um, you just said the car was very good um, out of the, the truck or box or trailer, whatever you name mentioned, and you just changed little things. Can you go, go more into details? What are the little things? Um, I mean, the, we didn't change a single shock or a single, a single um, you know, spring, sway bar, none of that. We, we never changed heights. We never did any of that all weekend. So it just enabled us to, to really focus on some of the small things, uh, you know, obviously going through the OSS multiple times and making sure that all that looked good and, um, you know, making sure our splitter would look good in all of our pictures and videos and just those types of things is, is uh, really what I was talking about. Um, but it also just keeps uh, the atmosphere um, in the right spot, I guess you could say. You know, after going through the week that we had at, at Martinsville, um, you know, that was a stressful weekend. Uh, we didn't seem to do a whole lot right the whole weekend. And, um, you know, to be able to, to work hard all week and to come here and have things flow the way that they're supposed to flow, um, that, that's really what it was all about. Yeah, question number two. I mean, just looking at here from the press box, uh, all cars look very, very fast. How, how identical is the setup between uh, Kevin's car and uh, his teammates? I don't think that's anybody's business, but um, the cars weren't built the same and the setups weren't the same, so they still ran one, two, three. We've got one more up here. Go ahead. JimHunterMotorsport.com for Rodney. Could you just talk a little bit about how far uh, your team has come from the start of this season in terms of getting a handle of the package and getting in a position to go from where you were running at the beginning of the year to now competing for a championship? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, I'll take as much responsibility for that at the beginning of the year than anything. Um, you know, we, we looked at a lot of different things going into the year. We went to the Vegas test, um, and, you know, we, we decided to go different ways on different things. And, um, you know, obviously you have to pick a direction, right? And, and we picked a direction, and, and it wasn't the right direction, but you've got cars built that are six weeks out, and then you've already went through six, seven races before you can even react to anything. And then once you react to that, you, you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure out how to drive it. You've got to figure out how to set it up. And um, so at that point, then you're 10 weeks out. And um, so, you know, a lot of that was just part of the sport and part of the way that we operate. And, um, you know, you can't just change things on the fly. You can't rebuild cars. And... Um, you know, as we learned, um, you know, obviously all of our drivers got better, our teams, um, you know, the setups, all that stuff, and you know, you wanna you wanna win as many races as you can, just like last year. Um, but on the other hand, you need to be right in, in the second half of the year and and be able to start focusing on those details of of what you need and um, you know how to make the cars fast, but also drive them in traffic and. Um, you know, I think that that was just part of it. You know, it it was it was um, a, a big learning curve for all of us, and uh, something that we just had to work through. All right, we'll come up front. Uh, Scott Tilly with the Flash List. When you guys knew that you made the playoffs, did you set aside a Homestead car, or have you been driving the Homestead car in any one of the races uh, so far? Um, our stuff is is pretty spread out, I guess you could say. Like this car, we just won with. The last time it raced was Texas in the spring. Um, yeah, we we just try to keep it to where 
um, we can focus on that weekend and you know everything that that you're going to do at homestead is nothing like what you're going to do here at texas um so you know you just kind of got to focus on those particular races and you know some of that stuff we've done a good job at obviously and some of it we haven't done a good job at and uh, i think you've got to look at at darlington as, as a, a key race uh when you think about homestead and obviously the gibbs cars brought the the right stuff to Darlington they had the best cars all weekend they had good speed and they had good fall off and um, we didn't we didn't take the right cars we fought hard all weekend and and uh, was able to get a top five out of it but um, you know I think Homestead is going to be the the craziest thing you've seen uh, you know with this package you've got you know major restarts and three and four or five wide you've got every lane that you can choose from um, and then obviously you're going to have cars that are fast on the short run. You're going to have cars fast on the long run. And, um, and you know, if, if Larson can ever make it, he's going to be up against the fence a half second faster than everybody in the long run. So, um, you know, it, we just got to see how it plays out and be prepared when we get there. I think with this package, that's the, that's the key is you got to have a notebook and you got to be ready to change things when you get there. Uh, if you're too slow, if you're too fast, and, um, and figure that out as, it get, as, as you go. All right, I believe Bob, you had a question? Bob Parker's Fox Sports. Rodney, do you understand the call that was made on the on that pit stop, and was it something that you kind of knew, or is it just an interpretation that it was kind of new because we hadn't seen it before? Yeah, I mean, um, so basically th that happened, I think it was about three weeks ago in a truck race. Um, so it happened in the truck race, and then it happened to somebody else in the truck race, and then somebody else in the truck race. And then the next day, it happened in the Xfinity race, and um, uh, Chad Little sent out a memo the next day just kind of as a reminder about certain things, and I didn't understand it. And, um, you know, after I got the memo, I went to the NASCAR hauler, and I got um, – uh, they explained all that to me. Um, I would have never known that before that day. And um, we actually had a conversation as a team to make sure that that never happened. And some of that, you know, it goes back on me. Um, you know, in three and four, we're on the digital radio, which is everybody that's below me, my engineers, my road crew. And you're talking about whether you're going to do tires, you're going to do fuel. And, um, you know, as we're hitting pit road, that conversation is still going on a little bit. And then, um, really, it's that person's responsibility to pick that tire up before the car gets to the pit stall, and that didn't happen. So, um, you know, like I said, it was something new that got brought up a few weeks back. It was, it was definitely explained to me, and it was explained to my guys. And, um, but it's definitely something that they're paying attention to now. All right. We have now been joined by our race winner, Kevin Harvick, driver of the number four Bush Beer Ducks Unlimited Ford. Before we start with Kevin, does anyone have any additional questions for Rodney or Tony? Okay. We'll go to Nate and then Taryn. Uh, Nate Ryan, NBC Sports. Rodney, first for you, just real quick. Did, did you say you watched the race three times? Uh, so I always, I always start on Monday morning, and um, I watch it Monday, and then um, – we felt so good about things with Texas. By the time we got to Tuesday after lunch, I started working on Phoenix. So then I watched Phoenix, 
and then after I watched Phoenix, I was half confused and needed to go back and watch Texas. So then I watched Texas on Wednesday again, and then I watched it again this morning. So um, it's hard to, to, you know, this particular race especially, um, you know, places like here in Indy, you have to go back and pay attention to that stuff and what people do with two tires and no tires and track position and all that. And, and I think our situation was different. Like I said, like we were, we were going to try to get stage points and we were going to try to win the race. And how do you do both of those? And, um, you know, obviously you just kind of got to have that in your head of, of what could happen, what can happen. And I probably drove him crazy, sending crazy messages about what other people did in the spring. Keeps me from having to watch it. Yeah, he doesn't have he to watch it. He watches it so many times, but I don't have to watch it. <laughs> but it, it's really just about, you know, studying. It, it's, it's just like having to take a big exam. you gotta, you got to have it in your head and ready to go. Kevin said this. you felt like this was your best chance. You guys put your eggs in this basket, knowing that the Gibbs cars would probably be better at Phoenix. This, this was your shot kind of at making Um, You know, I think the 18 was a little bit better than us at Phoenix in the spring, but my honest opinion is we took a piece of crap car to Phoenix, and we had probably a third-place car. So um, I would be surprised if we're not really good next weekend, and we just got to get there and, and see how we do. You know, everybody gains on certain things throughout the year, and it's a it's a different race it's a different temperature and and um you just kind of gotta gotta fight through it and figure out what you got when you get there and uh, tony a question for you uh, just your experience as a driver kyle larson uh felt that nascar should have penalized bubble wallace for causing an intentional caution and there's been a couple of instances in recent weeks where intentional yellows have potentially not been called do you have any thoughts on that as a, dr a driver should nascar step in more in those situations or? You know, honestly, I feel like NASCAR's backed in a corner uh, on scenarios like this. I mean, I think there's so many things just like, you know, the rule of double yellow lines at, at Talladega and Daytona. I mean, there's so many ball and strike calls that they have that they're put in the position of having to make. I think they got to find a way to make it simpler to where it is what it is. I mean, there w Bubba wasn't working for any team, any man manufacturer. I mean, he was trying to take care of himself in that scenario. So. Uh, you know, it could work for you one week. It could work against you the next week. It's uh, it's just part of it. I mean, but to put NASCAR in that position where they have to act and react to every single thing that happens, I wouldn't even want to be a NASCAR official if that's the way it had to be all the time. So Same thing happened last week, right? It's it's just, it gets, at what point do you sit there and say enough's <laughs> enough? And it just, uh, at some point, we've got to somewhat adopt the, the old time tradition of keep it simple, stupid. It's just got to be simplified to where they don't have, they shouldn't have to sit up there and babysit every single thing that everybody does all the time. There's enough rules and regulations that they have to do that need to be in place, let alone the things that they shouldn't have to be put in those positions. So it's, uh, I mean, you can ask 10 different people, they're going to give you 10 different answers on it. I just feel bad that NASCAR has to be put in that position and that, you know, after a race like that, that that's what they got to be scrutinized for is because they're trying to do their job. So there, there's plenty of things that we give them a hard time for not doing. There's plenty of things that they do right, but there's plenty of things that they shouldn't have to be put in those positions, and I feel like that's one of those. Right. Was, that, was that your question? David, that was uh, Rodney Childress there. Uh, and Tony Stewart being really vocal like he always is. Uh, and to bring up the question uh about what Nate Ryan posed there to Tony Stewart there um, with uh, Bubba Wallace intentionally spinning himself out. And I, from what I understand, there was some audio. I didn't have my audio running because it, really, it was really late 
And I think I actually went to be it. I didn't get to watch the end of it there. But uh, what's your take there on, you know, Tony Stewart's always been really vocal about anything that NASCAR does, and he mentioned that, about the intentional spinning that actually really hurt Kyle Larson, which put Kyle Larson a lap down. Can you talk a little bit about that scenario there that went on this past weekend at Texas Motor Speedway? Um, I I can't speak to it because I didn't see it. Um, I happened to miss it, and um, you know I I know we've we talk. I mean, people talk about both sides of the coin on this one, and uh, I mean I've seen a replay. Um, you know I I don't think honestly I don't I don't I don't think that I can compare it to. Um, I don't think I can compare it to the Truex thing at Richmond, um, you know, that, that was kind of a more blatant, you know, you know, done intentionally to help uh, another teammate out, um, and NASCAR had to react to that, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't, honestly, I don't know, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that Bob Wallace intentionally spun out to, to help a teammate out or something like that, um, maybe spun out for other reasons, um, I, I don't know. I'm not going to try and interpret it one way or another. I just think that, um, you know, some people have called for NASCAR to scrutinize some of these spins and some of these things that these drivers do, but unfortunately these come such judgment calls that um, I think if NASCAR has to try and step in and, um, you know, pick a side each time uh, that a driver, um, you know, spins. Uh, they do it intentionally. They do it to help somebody out. I, I think that we end up down a rabbit hole that, um, you know, was just going to cause too many other problems uh, related to it. So, um, you know, NASCAR could obviously react to the to the deal back with Truex and Richmond uh, a couple of years ago because, um, you know, it, it, it was pretty much a, a very blatant uh, attempt to help out somebody else. Um, but even in that, you know, NASCAR had to go back behind uh, uh, the race and add Jeff Gordon into the uh, to the to the playoffs that year. So, you know, if, if NASCAR again, I think the NASCAR is just put in this position where they have to make every they have to judge every caution or every spin for intentions or not. Um, I think they're it, it's just going to turn into just too much for them to try and figure this whole thing out. Um, you know, obviously if these are intentionally done things, um, maybe after the race, uh, as I did with Truex and, uh, you know, that team, um, and Mike Walter racing at the time, um, you know, maybe some penalties or whatever the case may be, but I just think in a race, it's just, it's almost next to impossible sometimes to, to make these on-the-spot judgment calls, um, because, I mean, this isn't like, you know, in baseball where it's a ball or a strike, uh, you know, it, it, it's not one or the other. Um, there's too many things and too many factors. That's right. Now, I'll go ahead and say it for you, too, and it's bullshit. I mean, you know, dead gum. Come on, man. I mean, you know, it's sort of like fake news, just like Donald Trump said. There's <laughs> there's so much controversy. There's so much stuff that you can say and so many things that you can turn it around. And whatever happened on that radio, I which, let me throw this in there. I, I had watched... Uh, a race day thing yesterday or day before there, and Cal, uh, Cal Petey there, he said, you know, this this has been going on since day one. So, you know, hello, quit worrying about it. Quit 
quit scrutinizing the sport. If you don't like it, don't watch it. And, Stephen, <laughs> with that being said, I think I probably pissed a lot of people off, but I want to get your take before we jump out of here. The PJ one they put down there at Texas Motor Speedway, they put it in uh, one and two and three and four, but they put it up high. They left that bottom groove there without the PJ one. And to mention what you had uh, mentioned earlier about Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott, the reason that he's for he's at in the point situation, he got up in the PJ1. And there were a lot of drivers discussing this, a lot of team, a lot of crew chiefs, a lot of people talking about this. The PJ1, I think at Texas, was a full pal, not good. What's your take on the PJ1 there at Texas? I don't think it did anybody any good, brother. Uh, I, I, I think that... Um you know the 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 way that it was put out there. Um, you know, SMI has done very well with developing their tire dragons that even now ISC will borrow and take to their racetracks. Um, this PJ1 that uh, has been used for the last couple handful of seasons. Um, they've done well with it at places like Bristol to try and open up the grooves out there and things like that. Um. Unfortunately, I just think in Texas it kind of fell a little bit short there, and it ended a lot of people's days. And Danny Hamlin and Chase Elliott being um, the two that suffered the worst consequences of it all, because it well Elliott was already a hole to begin with, but it just was a bigger hole now. And uh, then you know Danny Hamlin coming behind him, but yeah, um, I think it was just uh, you know I'm not an engineer, but I think it was just too wide. They're too fast um, out there. Uh, to try and do something. I think if they would have um, worked a smaller uh, groove uh, with that stuff, we may have had a, a different result. But, you know, this, this is just looking back and playing, you know, Sunday morning quarterback or Monday morning quarterback, uh, you know, after the game has been played. And, you know, I'm sure Marcus Smith and uh, everybody over there at SMI is looking at this. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, they're going to come back to Texas again and do the same thing. Uh, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that they, well, you know, they got a lot of smart engineers and a lot of smart guys over there. So I, I do think that they'll, they'll look at this and see what they can do to, uh, um, you know, uh, come to see what they can come back and do differently. And Stephen, before we jump out here, like again, I want to apologize for uh, Daniel Henrik had something come up, and I know we always let you. I don't think we've done it here the past couple of weeks. But you let the TV and radio schedule out for this weekend events for the uh, NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series, the NASCAR Extended Series, and also the Monster Engine NASCAR Cup Series at Phoenix International Raceway at PIR. There's a lot going on this weekend, and I think everything starts probably Thursday with, <clears throat> excuse me, with some of the hauling in. But uh, again, Stephen, let's. Uh, if you got it up, let everybody know the schedule, the TV schedule, radio stuff for this weekend at uh, ISM Restaurant. Yeah, um, so Saturday, 505 Eastern, NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series qualifying two lap all positions for them <clears throat> to be followed later on that night at 8.30 p.m. 150 laps, 150 miles for Lucas Oil 150. That'll be on uh uh, FS1, MRN Radio, Sirius XM also has your radio call for that. Saturday, we will have NASCAR 
Xfinity Series qualifying at 1235 with NASCAR K&M Pro Series West qualifying, group qualifying right after that one. <clears throat> and then uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying at 205. The uh, Diamond Resorts, Diamond Resorts, Diamond, no, sorry, the Diamond Casino West Valley 200 will take to the track at Xfinity Series 215. Uh, uh, no, 3.30 for those guys, 200 laps, 200 miles. Then the NASCAR Canyon Pro Series West Championship Race 6.15. Oh, the XNE Series will be on NBC with uh, MRN Series XM for radio. Uh, the West Series Race will be 6.15. Uh, 100 laps, 100 miles for those for the championship race for the, uh, for the West Series. Um, check out... Um, Check out some of NASCAR streaming. Um, they they typically have been putting these Canyon races on that throughout the season, so they may have it on there. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at that. Then on uh, then on Sunday, the Blue Green Vacations 500 from uh, ISM Raceway. The end of the round of eight, 2:30 p.m. NBC has your TV. Sirius XM MRN has your radio call. 312 laps, 312 miles from Phoenix uh, this weekend. Take a breath, brother. Great job. Stephen, let everybody know where they can follow you on social media, your website, brother. We'll let you jump out of here, and I'll play a song, and then we'll then TD to jump out of here. Let everybody know where they can follow you at, brother. You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, plus Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. There you go, folks. Follow Speedway Digest there, Stephen Wilson. You can follow myself, too, on uh, the pitstopradionot.net. Stephen hosts my site. And, uh, Stephen, I guess let's just wait and see what happens this this weekend coming in here at Phoenix. And we're going to Homestead. Again, thanks, listeners, for joining us tonight. We'll be back live next Tuesday. Uh, I'm Phoenix Payne, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com. Mr. Stephen Wilson, we will talk to you next evening. Thanks for joining us. See you, brother.
I'm NASCAR driver Daniel Hemrick, and you're listening to the Pit Stop Radio.